If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni. Pixel Sift is a fortnightly gaming podcast where we dig into all the news and all the goss and everything that's happening in the world of gaming. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Scott. Hey, hey. And Mitch. Hey, what's up? And joining us this week as well, we have uh, Travis and Sean from Foregone, the Foregone Syndicate, uh, with their game, Desync. Guys, thanks for joining us today. No problem, thanks, man. Hey, guys. So we're going to be talking all about your game a little bit further in the show, but before we do that, what else are we checking out? Yeah, so we'll be having a look at the frost-culling incident and the fallout of what happened when Kotaku gave their readers a sneak peek under the hood of Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, and on the tail end of today, uh, robust character character customization and rich stories. Lately, it seems that you can never have both in the same game. All that and more coming up today on episode 69. Hey, now. Of Pixel Sieve. I'm going to leave that there. Oh. Pixel Sieve! It's not Pixel Sieve. It's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sieve! Alright, so uh, an article on Kotaku sparked a bit of controversy last week when the angle when the angle they chose to focus primarily on game development technique known as frostum culling. Put simply, this is what happens when only when a game only renders what's in front of the camera instead of wasting resources on assets the player cannot see. Some indie developers are very quick to flippantly point out that frustum culling is not new or innovative. Okay, so <laughs> a bit of context because I think it's not just the Kotaku article. Yeah. So Horizon Zero Dawn uh, is currently having a documentary made about the process of making the game. Mm-hmm. One part of that was they did an interview with Kotaku and they showed one little excerpt from uh, the from the documentary and it showed it sort of visualised what frustum culling kind of does it basically unloads things that the player isn't looking at to save on memory to make it run better all of these sort of things this clip went huge uh it popped up everywhere and i actually saw it like pop up a lot of different places on normal normal facebook not game facebook and normal (laughs) twitter um it became really it it effectively became viral right so the response from some people uh after this was to say, hey, look, you know, people were excited about this, but this isn't a big deal. This is pretty well, standard. It's been in every game since 1985 or whatever. <laughs> um, and we basically want to kind of discuss the the reaction that some people have had to this sort of thing and what that means towards your con- the consumers, the players of your games, the media, and what it means for developers. Well, well, I actually thought when I first saw the GIF, and I, was, I saw it on Reddit, and I thought... I, I, I didn't even take into account the fact that it was building everything and not rendering what was behind it. I thought that GIF was illustrating draw distance. 
And mm. I didn't think that it was actually frost and culling was. I didn't even know what the term meant. I, I knew I knew the concept. I was familiar with it, but I didn't know it had actually, actually had a name. But I thought that they were just illustrating how far away the camera was rendering. I thought it was just. I thought it was common knowledge that games just did that. Yeah, I, I mean, guess yeah. To the to the somewhat informed. I mean, I wouldn't call us the mo- most informed, but we're, <laughs> we're somewhat informed. Um, you know, it is. But to to your average person, then it isn't obvious. Um, like the whole point of media is to be like an intermediary for delivering information to the uninformed. So I, I really, I think, it, and like, I think it's silly that, that this turned into a, a fight at all. Like, you know, a, a bitch fest, basically. Mm-hmm. Like media has a bad enough rep as it is. Uh, I don't think they should have jumped in t- and, and fueled the flames at all. Do you know what? We're very lucky because we've actually got two game developers on the line <laughs> right. here who can give us an insight into the mind of, of game developers. Please do, boys. Guys, what did you think what's, of this um, when you saw this happen? Uh, what's Frost from Culling again? <laughs> Fantastic. Best question ever. I thought uh, so. But that's, I, this is a perfect—that's a yeah. perfect example. So, like, not everyone, like you—you you guys would be aware of the the idea, and I'll let Mitch explain it because he's much better at it. But the, the idea of it being common knowledge to everybody, like, and is is it's obviously not the case. It's, it's just not the away. case. Yeah. So, frost. But maybe frost those guys are a bit of a gag, and they're actually, you know, is Ill. maybe Spoons. something. Are you spoofing us? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's the concept that's. It's basically a concept that. If something's not in front of the camera in a game, it doesn't have to be rendered. Mm. So pretty much, it it doesn't it it isn't rendered. So only what the camera sees, and the fact that you're moving through an environment and you're actually passing things is actually kind of an illusion. Yeah. So your context is only what's in front of you, and that's the only thing that's actually being built by the game. Guys, do you think? Um, I mean, there's probably heaps of things that are done to optimize a game and, and make it playable uh, desyncs a game that's very high speed high intensity um you know do you think it's better to, for people to kind of know how these things are made how the uh, you know how many eggs go into the omelet that sort mm. of thing or, or or do you think this is kind of a big big deal out of nothing um it's definitely interesting showing people how uh, complex games are mm. um do you guys remember the the infamous um video or gif of bioshock where i think it was bioshock or maybe it was half-life where they have i think you're inside a car and they actually just put the car on on the player's head and they're just jamming into the ground yeah yeah right it was it was really funny um yeah there's definitely a lot of value in showing the behind the scenes of games and i think uh with this with the article from um kotaku it was uh, it, was, it, was, it was it's sort of common knowledge like Russian calling in the development scene but for most people you know it's still it's still really interesting so I think there's definitely a lot of value but I can understand uh, the reaction to it where um, there are some a, a lot of new more modern techniques a lot of things going on in the indie scene that could have gotten more coverage but you know for the for most people and you know layman it's Russian calling is still pretty interesting yeah I think also Sorry, go for Sorry, it. Just, yeah, just the fact that it was like some, like a journalist from Kotaku sort of thing. Like, you would, people maybe have like expectation that people know like what that is sort of thing, like you were saying before, that like the average person doesn't know what Frost and Culling is. And like, that's true. And like, that's fine. This is like a journalist saying it kind of thing. So it's not just like everyone doesn't, like this, like a random doesn't get it. It's people, I guess developers were probably hoping that they had like a little, little bit more insight into like what they're writing, that kind of thing. So do you, think, they don't. do you think it was an expectation that, from on the journalist or the expectation on on the audience 
uh, I'm saying that it was an expectation on like the people that the developers that replied, like uh, however they did, uh, expectation on them that like the journalists might should have known what it was. I think it's speaking from from sort of our perspective, I think uh, one of the things that is really interesting is that whenever you are told to write articles and, and do radio stories and all of that sort of thing, you have to kind of expect that the person you're talking to is in about, they say, a nine-year-old, so in a year, like year two or year three sort of, uh, and you pitch it at that level and then you add complexity as you go along. So I think that some of these concepts may, you know, be something that people may know. Um, you know, there may be a particular audience that obviously would read this thing and say, yes, we know this is a pretty common term, but you have to write. It's, it's, you see it a lot. You write for the lowest common denominator. Exactly that, because you don't know who's reading you. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, what's really interesting about this is this was this big conversation about, you know, there, there is sort of like different levels of expertise and there is uh, the conversation we always have with people is there's an expectation that players have. And, you know, people say, you know, oh, why can't you just chuck a uh, multiplayer in your single player game and just, you know, it's only going to take <laughs> three weeks or whatever, you know, and that this conversation sort of needs to happen. So people see the nuts and bolts behind the scenes um, yeah. to work out exactly what kind of you know what what, what what is required to make a game also it is kotaku i mean it's not like it, it it's a news aggregate it, it's it's they also have another they also have another thing on the same website that's like why do cockroaches like to nest inside ps4s they also have something <laughs> like that on the same website i mean it's not like it's a professor at digipen writing a peer-reviewed article it's it's yeah, not even I a mean, game of sutra article yeah, or anything yeah. Like that. No, yeah exactly you, you kotaku uh readers are generally gamers not not developers yeah. So yeah, no, and and just your general kind of consumers of gaming things. So I, I, I yeah, I don't know. This kind of information is great, I mm-hmm. think, and I, I was kind of really happy to read it and learn about it, even though I knew the basic and I knew it existed, but I didn't know it was called that, and mm-hmm. I didn't know you know the inside information. I thought it was good and refreshing, and I didn't really see why there was such a backlash. And I do understand, like you know, there's lots of like you said, uh, like you guys said, there's lots of indie developers doing way more amazing stuff than this, but. You know, it's that doesn't take away the fact that this is an amazing thing on its own, and it does deserve to be you know spoke about. Where do you guys go if you want to find out like uh, you know cool techniques yeah, and, and what sort of uh, sources are you using for your information? Oh uh, yeah, sorry, I definitely can't tell you that. That's really <laughs> back alley secrets. Yeah. yeah, you can't just get that. Guys. No, I can tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's, there's the, um, I don't know any offhand, you know, um, uh, where, where do you go? Pixelsist.com. Pixel 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 pretty hit and miss. Mm-hmm. But like, it has like some stuff on Gunner Super, but also yeah, I mean, there's plenty out there. Get on the internet yeah, uh, is what I'm hearing. Just yeah, do, get on do a internet. Google how to make game. For all the negativity, um, you know, Twitter is a great place to get lots of cool little ideas you follow the right people you get lots of inspiration on twitter and yeah. um, people post like little articles or little tidbits and you can read more into it if you have the time so i think twitter is just a nice you know encapsulation of all the cool things that are going on sometimes so a lot of things you try to find like real specific sort of thing like you might see someone do something really cool like on twitter like sean said and then like you're like oh like how does that like happen like i want to like learn more about that and then like you kind of just google it for yourself sort of thing and then go like down there it's not so much just like Here's one website telling you where all the cool things are, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's more just like you just like talk to other developers and seeing like what's out there, and then going from there. Mm-hmm. Your engine, and if you can handle it, Reddit, I guess. Yeah, yeah. start the conversation. I'd with someone. Reddit. I don't know. Uninstall. 
unsubscribe uh look guys uh we're going to hear all about how you guys have made your games uh right now though we're going to jump into the next topic watch episodes let's plays and more at youtube.com forward slash pixelsiftau So if you just tuned in, joining us uh, over the internet is Travis and Sean from the Foregone Syndicate. They've just uh, released a game, well, two months ago they've released a game and they're still working hard on it. Uh, the game is called Desync. Guys, if people haven't seen your game, um, what is it and h- how would you explain it? Hey, uh, cool. Uh, Desync is an FPS game that we built to try and bring... Uh, people into playing FPSs at a high level in a single-player, you know, safe environment. So it's a score-based, uh, leaderboard-driven FPS set to like a really sick synth soundtrack. Um, it's notoriously difficult. It's really challenging. It has a lot of mutators and modes and all this sort of stuff. Um, and we love it. Yeah. So it's basically the gateway drug into your your competitive multiplayer. Yeah, I figure if you if you play desync and you finish it, it's basically a gateway into yeah uh, Quake Champions coming out, I guess. <laughs> so I first saw the game at the first RTX, and I think that was at the end of, I want to say the tail end of twenty fifteen. I think was that, I think that was that hmm. that year. Yeah. How 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 long had the game been in development at that point? Because it looked like it was ready to go on Steam then. All right, or yeah, to that me was, anyway. Uh, <laughs> That was about two years, and we're glad you think that because we hit a lot of the other stuff that wasn't quite so ready, away from everyone. But it it was two years at that point, and it took us about three years to make total. And it was just, we had like the initial concept, uh, I'm not going to say down because of the constant, like just progressing with it, like seeing what sticks, kind of just like, not like throwing things in, at the wall and seeing what sticks, but it was like always always building upon like what we had sort of thing over like, a longer process than we could have ever believed. We had a really organic development. We, you know, we had the set idea and we had the the feeling of what we wanted players to go through when they played the game, which is kind of like a obscure uh, hatred of of the, you know themselves. Not really, <laughs> but we, we had we had the idea of what we, of what we want to make very early and, and the feeling of what we want to get across. Um, and as we were making it, you know, we would just have so many ideas and yeah, like Travis said, throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck was basically our development. And, but we built it, we built the game in such a way that it was just such a big web of mechanics that all work together when, when it wasn't modular in the way we could just add a feature here or add a feature there. Everything had to work together to feed into the score system and the, the progression. So whenever we added something or tweaked something, it would affect everything and it had to work all together. So um, when we hit that two-year mark, when we met you guys, it was, you know, we had the, the we had the platform down, we had everything down, and then it was a matter of building out the content. And we kept, we're, we're really perfectionists, and we kept raising the bar of graphics and sound. And every time we did that, everything else in the game had to then escalate to that new level that we came up with. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. A lot, we, get, we get that a lot, like, that people thought that the game was ready like a year after we were making it and then we still had two years to go sort of thing. So I guess it just goes to show, you know, um, something 
about game development. How, how do you guys go through that iterative <laughs> process? Is it is it important to get it in front of other people who are playing the game? Do you, you play test a lot locally? Like, how do you go from, okay, we need to make this change, we need to go to this, we need to adjust this particular element? Yeah, that is that is an awesome question for us because the game that we were made that we made is kind of is is it's not like um it's not for everybody so getting the game to as many people as possible wasn't our goal because the feedback that we would have got and that we did get when we did do that was always you know the feedback that we knew we would get was it was obvious stuff that we were actually trying to avoid um so we had a maybe it worked to our detriment or to to our um reward but we had a we didn't have as much play testing as most other games because we kind of knew the vision of the game we wanted to make um but i would say i would say for most games getting the game out to as many people as possible uh, constantly is probably ideal and feeding that feedback through what you think the game should be is definitely ideal but um we had a specific vision that we wanted to execute before we really got it out there too much so was it all internal that you guys were having the sort of feedback and and testing and everything or did you have some people who were like in on the the vision understood what you were trying to achieve um i'm just wondering did you did you bounce it off anyone or did you test anything because i know when you do anything creative it can be difficult sometimes especially when you're working on it a long time um to know whether you're making progress or whether you're kind of standing in one spot yeah it depends like what stage of the like uh development we're at sort of thing like the first year was really just like super internal barely like threw it to anyone the like second year we had like a couple of people we like trusted with the game to give us like valuable feedback based on like where's the game's at sort of thing and then like the later on the more people we like try to throw it at but also like like we met you guys at PAX and like events like that are really helpful for just seeing like yeah. what the general like person playing the game like how they're gonna go like we didn't know how long it would take someone to beat like the first level until like two years after we actually made the thing and took it to like a PAX for the first time sort of thing. So stuff like that is super valuable. Yeah, those events for us were really our playtesting a lot of the time because we didn't really send the game out to many to the public or to a wide array of people. But those events really for us were testing. We just had our notepads out watching people play constantly. And um, just to what Travis said, I uh, have to give credit to our publisher, Adult Swim, because they in the later stages had a lot of... Um, feedback and they play tested the hell out of it later on so they really helped out too you kind of guys mentioned that it was sort of a game that you couldn't just put in front of every single person and and you know just wouldn't be something that everyone would be able to get immediately did you worry at any point that you were making too niche of a game that it might be only a small number of people who'd be interested in playing it um I mean, the dream is to kind of get it to as many people as, as possible but was that something you were thinking about or is that feedback that you had um honestly we were so focused on just executing the game i think that we wanted to make that we weren't too stressed about if it was going to be niche i think people probably kept trying to tell us that it's niche and in hindsight maybe we should have listened to them but we just were still in the midst of you know executing on what we wanted the game to be so whenever we would get feedback that it's too niche we would always react like yeah we haven't implemented this thing that will make you think this and it'll uh, subtly hit you to do this and uh so that's that's the reason there, yeah. But like, just one thing: the uh, like we knew, like throughout development, we kept telling ourselves, like this is a niche game. Some people aren't going to like it. It's like meant to be really challenging. It's kind of like alienating for some people if you like not not played FPS games before on PC. And then like actually seeing that after release happen was like just like a little bit weird to see. Like we kept telling ourselves throughout development, like that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. And then to like actually see it happen, it's just like yeah, it's like 
It's exactly what we said, but it's like mildly annoying. <laughs> no, that was the case. So yeah. you meant. So you guys mentioned Adult Swim earlier. Um, that's not really a company that people traditionally associate with games. <laughs> How did that relationship kind of form? Well, between that's you not and true, Mitch. They do a lot of games. But um, they, they do, but uh, like you but said, they not... don't traditionally <laughs> align the two together. You know, uh, uh, well, I mean, they're an American kind of, uh, you know, uh, broadcasting network. Are they, are they not classically? Yeah. So, yes, I think that's <laughs> yeah. a fair question. <laughs> there are Adult Swim games. Yeah, but you want to go, Johnny? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> Sorry, we actually got that a lot. Whenever pe- whenever we'd say or whenever people would see Adult Swim, we not, I would say 80% of people would be like, what? They do games? What? <laughs> yeah. Ha! Yeah, yeah. How did that but, come um, about? How did you guys, uh, you know, well, good connect question, with Johnny. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting because... Adult Swim, before we um, hooked up with them, weren't big into doing uh, like the 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 scope and quality of games of, of that we were making. I guess like they were more doing what like Zenzi Zenic, you know, kind of flashy no, kind of games. More flash, like widespread appealing kind of. Thing. Yeah, so they, they were doing like that sort of stuff, and then we they just caught us at the right time where they were branching into. Right after. Yeah, right after we, they saw us on Steam Greenlight, they were branching into, I think, more, you know, real games, more, more, um, <laughs> more, yeah, just challenging, challenging games, real games. Not, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Really. You, you guys know. It's a bit of pocket morties. Different uh-huh. sort of genres, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. And, and yeah, they, they just caught us at the right time and they were doing things like um, Rise and Shine and Rain World, Headlander and all, all these, all these like more advanced games. From you know, legit devs were were coming out, um, and they caught it at the sort of right time. So the, it went really well. I think we we talked to them for so long before we finally said yes. They they courted us. They courted us for months and months. <laughs> Quite hard to get. We, nice. we played very hard to get. Fruit yeah. baskets, um, you know, little yeah. rose pillows, and <laughs> all that sort of thing. Yeah. But go on, Jeff. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, we talked to the. Yeah, we just. Had our green light go live, they just emailed us, and then we talked, just went back and forth for, for about, oh, yeah, about six months, sort of thing, maybe even more, before like signing with them. And then after that, they like announced us on Twitter, and that was like really cool to see like us with them. And yeah, from then on, it's just been really smooth sailing, too. <laughs> yeah, totally smooth sailing. It was interesting <laughs> going from like just this is just our little game post uni, we had, we had kind of no expectations we were mm. just trying to make a yeah. thing to then having a publisher that, that gave us the knowledge that we knew the game would at least be exposed to a lot of people and that was a big difference yeah going from just this is our little homemade thing to like oh this is actually going to be sold and exposed to a lot of people is daunting and inspiring man what's it like looking at the catalog of adult swim and it's rick and morty this like the simulator virtual reality and then only about two rows down is desync. That's pretty cool. Well, Trav's the big Rick and Morty fan. You wore the Rick and Morty shirt to PAX, man. Uh, you were repping. I wish you didn't pay for that. He's on brand. He's uh, yeah. 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 He's on brand. <laughs> <laughs> I just buy that myself. Like, what the hell? <laughs> but uh, no, it's, yeah, it's crazy to see us up against like all those other games and seeing like what's coming out with like Rain World just got released and like Death Gambit. I mean like I played like Volga the Viking like was a game they did ages ago and like I played that before like they even emailed us about 
like things so it was really weird to see see like a, a publisher of a company that like you've heard about before and like played some of their games and like super hazard dead ninjas as well was like a really cool one like back in the day so it was like just surreal really to see us along or even just like getting emailed by the publisher of the boom being like, right next to all the other games oh, yeah. Uh, just before we jump onto the next topic, guys, we've just got a question from uh, the Twitch stream from Pretty Fly for a shy guy. Uh, how long did it take to get uh, a game project from general concept to close to completion or testing? Wow. Um, so it's a we're we're a bit biased though because we we started making this game. Um, we call, it was called FPS twenty fourteen because we thought it would come out. In, the year 2014 <laughs> so <laughs> nice. we were we, we were and we were kind of new to the engine we were using um, so we were learning as we went so uh, it's you know it's up to your skill level how much experience you have what your expectations are but you know for us we were um kind of experienced programmers and kind of knew exactly what we wanted to execute in terms of feeling it took us around boy like four four to six months i would say before we had the uh, some form of gameplay and like our systems in place, and then we got onto Steam Greenlight, a pretty strong Steam Greenlight. So, you know, it was it was like a month to two months for some general gameplay, and then messing around with that and fixing that up for about another two to three months until we got on Steam Greenlight. Yeah, so around I would say like four to six months. Yeah. Cool. Take some time to get to the point, and you've you know you've reached the finish line now, or have you? You're still working on it. Um chipping away at your baby as you said it was um if people want to give your game a go where's the best place for them to to head to um and what sort of things should they bring into it when they're they're just about to sit down and play some desync yeah so go check it out on steam it's currently you can go buy it there now uh we like released two months ago but we're still working on it now like you can go on like our forums we're like active in there responding to feedback like changing balancing things and like adding new features like we're implementing some things that didn't make it into release and got some new ideas beyond that sort of thing so if you want to check it out just go onto steam and if you're just be ready for a challenging fps that throws some new things at you that hopefully that you haven't seen great hell yeah thanks guys we will stick a link up to that as well so right now though we will jump into our next topic visit us on pixelsift.com.au So lately, there have been many examples of games with strong character customization tools, but lacking a strong narrative. Games like Destiny that allowed players to change everything from their appearance, weapons, and even core ability sets, but lack the strong story elements found in games with more options. Now, there's plenty of examples from both sides out there. Do you have some thoughts on this? I'm sure you do. Oh, <laughs> look, I think this is one of these interesting topics that there's two different types of narrative and we've yeah. talked about this before. Well, there's more than two different types of narrative, but you know, there's predominantly two that you talk about. You have like a, a story driven uh, narrative where someone experiences uh, a story that they go through, or there's like a player driven narrative where y- you have a customizable game and you go in a, a, the traditional role playing game is that you're making the story yourself. And there's a few little story hooks in there, but it's about how you sort of play the game. Um, interestingly, uh, this kind of we, we kind of came at this because we were talking about the customization and we're talking about uh, especially in games like the one I remember really keenly is cool. Final Fantasy X where in all the previous Final Fantasy games they let you uh, name your character you can call them whatever they want but they were text-based games there was no voice acting in it but in Final Fantasy X they let you uh, name your character you can call him whatever you want 
but the game is fully voice acted, except for like some sections which aren't. Um, and they would just refer to you as, hey, the new guy or hey, star of the Zanuck and Abes. And it was really weird. Like it was a really strange thing because obviously they had to accommodate for you to call them, you know, butt face or whatever you wanted to call them. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just sort of seemed like that choice was given. And it actually took away from the story. story you know, it would be great if all the characters were kind of acted like they didn't know your name and they were trying to find it out for the whole game. Like, is that is they that were just like got? having an awkward party and they're like been talking to someone for ages yeah. and they, hey, who invited it's that guy? Too, too yeah. far now to like <laughs> ask. It's just being impolite. Um, Ian uh, Bogost as well wrote an article this week uh, where he said that video games were better without stories. Um, and he says it's a long-standing dream that video games will evolve into interactive stories, like the ones that play out fictionally on the, the Star Trek holodeck. Um, but <laughs> we're not at that point yet, and it's better to just have free-form play and all that sort of thing. So, I, th- I think there's... <laughs> yeah, I guess there's a couple of views of that opinion. Um, look, there's lots and lots of good stories, uh, games out there with strong stories, and they tend to do quite well, I think. Um, you know, your, your Last of Us and whatever like that. They they tend to be huge, really popular and really well taken. But they're, they're not the majority. The majority of games are your, yeah, like you said, the, the Destinies or the even what's the uh, this, the new Ubisoft one, Ghost Recon is a perfect example. You've, you've got to think even broader than that. Uh, the majority of games that are coming out now are mobile games. Um, you know, the vast majority yeah, of okay. them. If and they don't different- have... Yeah, you know, most of them will be sort of small repetitive gameplay loops and it might be fun telling your friend about what happened in, you know, Clash Royale or whatever. Um, and But that is the vast majority of games and that the experience is something that you you, you give fun in a different way rather yeah, than storytelling. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's um it's an interesting concept. What do you guys think about this? Did, uh, is this something that you, you think is important to games? Would you prefer to have uh, a, be the ability to make a character be what you want it to be? I think um, like some of my favorite games uh, have have stories and have like a whole team of writers and you know think of like Metal Gear Solid without a story, right? Um, like some of the best games have stories. I think there's merit to the idea of as like as the video game art form. What's the one thing that video games do that you know, reading and movies and stage plays and all that things don't do? And it's interactivity. So exactly. There's some merit to the idea that like the objective peak of a video game narrative would be everything is systemic and driven by the interaction and how you interact with the space rather than scripted events or things that borrow from movies and scripted uh, cutscenes and all that sort of thing. Yeah, you're right. It's its own medium. It shouldn't ha- try to lend from film or whatever because it can do its own thing and there's a reason why it exists and there's a reason why it thrives is because of that yeah interactivity and in the immersion that you get from games that you you know you, you only get from really great films i guess you gave the example of the last of us a little bit earlier scott but yeah. that is like a multi-million dollar game there is teams of writers and actors who are working in motion capture okay. and all of that sort of thing um but well, then you have the other side of the coin where you have small studios like for example no man's sky which was yeah. very uh you know it was quite algorithmically driven um this and even minecraft and things like that the early levels of minecraft like there isn't an overarching narrative but that's a player narrative that kind of comes from there so you know i i I think you could jump on either side of this and be like yeah i'm right if i do either or i'm gonna be on my own here but as much as last of us was great i felt like it was a bit shit and like (laughs) (laughs) and that's all we got time for so scott's off the show it's like they just held my hand the whole time it was like hey here's this really good story but we're gonna like throw some game in it 
it, that's how I felt. It was like yeah. all the good gameplay. Okay. There was not a lot of good gameplay. They, they held my hand and walked me through it all. It so if like, you would okay, like this to... This is great, but like, it's not the game I want to play. I kind of want to turn this off and you know play anything. If you would like to apply for else. the presenter's position at PixelSiv, you <laughs> can send an email to Scott. No, S- send your hate mail to Scott at pixelsivs.com.au. Tell him he's wrong. I, I, feel right, like, I feel like the budget aspect and regarding storytelling. I, I mean, we we know one man studios that have pretty good stories. Like there is like um, um, like Dust and Lazian's Tale. That was a pretty story driven game, and that was made by one person. Mm. And Jacob Janerka. One of our uh, oh, person that's paradigm. been on Pixel Paradigm, yeah. paradigm. Uh, massive, and that has a pretty. That's pretty much a story. Yeah, but um, that's a game that took a long time to build. And you know, there's <laughs> yeah. all sorts of different you know trade offs with all of these things. You know, a game where you you know have a fully. I mean, there is no black and white. Let games it's be all games. Gray. It's all know? gray. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Can't fall down on either side of this one. There. <laughs> um, it's a it's a conversation that I think we will continue to have into the future, and people will say you're wrong on the internet, regardless of whatever you yeah, say. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to live up that last of us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jeez, Scott. I wish I'd, I'm getting the finger from I'm everywhere. Really, really reconsidering a <laughs> whole lot. It doesn't play out on radio very well, but. <laughs> Look, uh, that's all we've got time for tonight. Thank you for joining us on uh, Pixel Sift. We do this every fortnight. We do Let's Plays every other fortnight. So basically it's every week. Um, and you can find out all about these topics. You can talk more about this. You can meet great people like Travis and Sean from Forgone and learn about their games. Uh, if you want to find out more about our stuff, we are at www.pixelsift.com.au. Mitch, we've got a stack of other episodes. Yeah, to- you can... Yeah, you can go to our website <laughs> to stream episodes, subscribe to as a podcast on either Apple Podcasts, it's not iTunes anymore, uh, Pocket Casts, or using the RSS link on our page. And if you previously subscribed with the RSS link, you might want to give that another hit because we recently changed where the podcast is hosted and it may have unsubscribed you. We don't know. Sorry, we don't that. know. Who yeah. knows? You, maybe you won't hear this, so yeah. you've been unsubscribed and we just think the show is finished. So anyway... Uh, Scott, uh, if people want to find out all the stuff that we're doing, into, including updates and you know previews of what's coming up. Yeah, get all the things at facebook.com forward slash pixel sift, twitter.com forward slash pixel sift, twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift, and youtube.com forward slash pixel sift au. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Uh, we've been uh, Pixel Sift, and thank you, Travis and Sean. We will catch you guys next time. Thanks for having us, Thanks. guys. Letters. See ya. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.